it really does mean a lot to us to see everybody come, coming together to get back to the community. Cracking down on graffiti in Chinatown, a surface-level solution for a problem that runs much deeper. And we're also concerned that it's not aligned with the public interest of residents. Why one group wants to put a stop to a rodeo plan for the Labor Day long weekend in Langley Township Plus. It's time to change who is in it, government. The message loud and clear as thousands gather for March for Our Lives rallies to protest against gun violence across the U.S. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Neetu is off tonight. We begin with two stories of communities in Vancouver trying to take back their neighborhoods from disorder. First to Strathcona Park. Not so long ago, the park was home to a tent city. It took 18 months for the park to be cleared. So that a small community festival could be held was a reason to celebrate. Here's Paul Johnson. Finally getting some heat into the atmosphere. By the time Roomba Siete started their set, it was clear that Celebrate Strathcona was going down as a hit. Over at the other end of the park, some alumni from the Union Gospel Mission were busy renewing the bromance. We had a little softball game going on and community with our barbecue. And we're just out, a bunch of guys in recovery. We got Strachona back. It's all cleaned up, as you can see. By back, he means the restoration of Strathcona to a functioning park for all. Taking a walk down the track oval Saturday, there was no hint of the previous state as home to a controversial tent encampment. I'm the vice president of the Strathcona Residents Association. Katie Lewis is one of the locals who helped put it together. So we invited kind of all sorts of businesses, all sorts of um, like kind of community groups to all kind of come together for a celebration in the park. So what played out was a delightful return to the kind of experience you can get in a big, diverse city like Vancouver. Who wouldn't be intrigued by having Dave Hancock point out the local eagle action? We've had this eagle's nest here now going on for 24 years that we've been following it. And there's three nests. This is the current nest. Something about that free and easy mixing of people from everywhere with every kind of story. Today I'm alive, and that's a good thing. You know, for me, uh, you know, 13 and a half years ago, I wasn't doing so good in life, and uh, I struggled in addiction, and, uh, you know, I got, uh, I got myself some help. In East Van, Paul Johnson, Global News. A graffiti removal program is underway in Chinatown and Gastown with the goal of addressing concerns from local merchants ahead of the summer tourist season. While the grassroots effort is welcome, the real estate mogul who renovated Chinatown's oldest building says a long-term fix must include tackling the downtown east side's challenges. Kristen Robinson has the details. Walls tarnished by tagging and sidewalks in need of daily pressure washing. A team of volunteers is working to wipe away Chinatown's repeat vandalism. It really does mean a lot to us to see everybody come, coming together to give back to the community. 
With funding from the Vancouver Police Foundation, Citizens Crime Watch and the Chinese Policing Centre are kick-starting a graffiti removal pilot project. Just trying to help do what I can. Like for me, I'm really focused on the problem itself, which is like the graffiti for me. That's my focus. I would say that the neighbourhood is ten times more challenged than it was when we acquired the building. Real estate marketer Bob Rennie bought the Wing Sang, the community's oldest building in 2004, and moved his office and art museum here after a five-year renovation. The livable, walkable Chinatown he knew as a child, long gone. We really wanted to be part of the solution to bringing back where my dad used to take me. Rennie's Heritage Building will become the Chinese Canadian Museum next year after the province helped the society acquire it. He hopes the project will be a catalyst for change as the city pushes for a UNESCO designation which would see Chinatown protected and preserved as a World Heritage Site. You can't solve Chinatown without really helping in dealing with the challenges of Hastings Street. Revitalizing the area, Rennie says, must include addressing the encroaching downtown east side social issues. I'll go out on a limb, three people a week die in my laneway. UNESCO's not going to allow that. We can't have a shiny object here and have no respect for mankind a block away. For now, the community effort to scratch the surface of a much deeper problem continues. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A bike battery is believed to be behind a fatal fire this morning in Vancouver's downtown east side. Around 7 o'clock, crews responded to a call at the Empress Hotel at Hastings and Maine. Flames were showing from a second floor unit. 28 firefighters fought the blaze and were able to contain it to one unit. Sadly, one man was found dead. Ended up falling out or um, coming out of the second floor window and, uh, and wasn't able to survive the, the fall from the second story. We have two other minor injuries as well. RCMP are investigating the shooting of a teenager in Burnaby overnight. More than a dozen RCMP officers canvassed the area near 19th and Humphreys in the Edmonds area. One officer using a metal detector in the search for clues. Just before midnight, police found a 19-year-old man suffering an apparent gunshot wound. He was treated at the scene and then taken to hospital. He is expected to recover from his injuries, and RCMP say he is not cooperating with the investigation. Witnesses saw a dark-colored vehicle leave the shooting before police could get there. Early this morning, a similar-looking vehicle was found in the 9,000 block of Ashgrove Crescent. Gangs often burn their vehicles after shootings. However, police say they do not believe this shooting is connected to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. Well, it's been more than 17 years since a Victoria mother went missing, and police believe someone has the tip that could help them finally solve the mystery. These photos show Belinda Cameron spending time with her two young daughters before she vanished. The 42-year-old was last seen on May 11, 2005 at a shopper's drug mart in Esquimalt. Extensive searches turned up no sign of her. It's believed Cameron met with foul play and her disappearance is being investigated as a homicide. Vic PD's Historical Case Review Unit is committed to bringing closure to Cameron's two daughters and investigators would like to hear from anyone who knows what happened to Cameron. It's been exactly 64 years since an East Vancouver family was murdered in their own home in a homicide that remains unsolved. In the early morning hours of June 11, 1958, 11-year-old Dorothy Pauls was 
beaten to death as she slept at her home in the 1000 block of East 53rd Avenue. Her pajama bottoms left next to her bed. 47-year-old Helen Pauls was shot and beaten to death in the foyer after returning home from work. 53-year-old David Pauls was dragged to the basement, beaten and shot in the head. Detectives considered robbery or home invasion as possible motives or that Dorothy may have been the target, although there was no evidence she was sexually assaulted. The Pauls were from Russia. There was also discussion the murders may have been related to political unrest in their home country. Well, natural gas customers will see their monthly bills increase starting next month after the B.C. Utilities Commission approved Fortis B.C.'s request to hike its rates. The company says it's seeing natural gas prices at 10-year highs due to global market conditions. As of July 1st, customers on the mainland, Vancouver Island, the North and Southern Interior, Whistler and Revelstoke will see their Fortis B.C. bills go up by about $11 or 11% per month. Fort Nelson customers will see their gas rates increase by about $14 a month. Energy prices have been rising steadily since last year, driven by surging demand that is outpacing supply. It's been a long dry spell for rodeo fans in the Lower Mainland. The pandemic and issues in Surrey have kept the Cloverdale Rodeo under wraps for three years. But now, Langley Township is being asked to consider a rodeo for the Labor Day long weekend. And as Julia Foy reports, the idea is generating mixed reviews. Come on, doggy, go get a rabbit! There is no rabbit, but the dogs don't mind. Instead of horses being out here having a little mini rodeo, we've got dogs. It's part of this so-called dog rodeo. Good boy! They do weight pull and wall climb and treadmill, and they we just want people to come out and have fun with their dogs. But in September, a rodeo of a different kind is planned by Valley West Stampede Society. The event is sanctioned by Pro Rodeo Canada and lists Rich Kitos as the committee chair. Kitos was formerly vice president of the Cloverdale Rodeo Association. He's named, along with three other board members, in a 2021 Human Rights Tribunal complaint. Kitos resigned from the Cloverdale Rodeo Board in December 2021. News he wants to bring a rodeo to Langley is getting mixed reviews. Bull riding events, the bucking events, such as the ones being proposed in this rodeo, um, do elicit a fear response in animals in order to provoke them to perform the behaviours that you see in the rodeos. The Vancouver Humane Society will be speaking before the Township of Langley Council on Monday night. We'll be presenting concerns about the welfare of animals and the way that This rodeo does not align with the values of the community. There will be presentations to council in favour of the rodeo as well. Supporters were asked to submit letters, and one reads in part, an annual rodeo event would enhance the community connection to its pioneering history at a time when Langley is welcoming ever more newcomers. Have you ever seen a dog rodeo before? Never, never, and I want to come back. While Saturday's event went to the dogs, there's still support for the proposed rodeo. There's all kinds of gymkhana events and barrel racing, and they may even have some cattle here for some roping. And yeah, so it'll be that'll be worth coming for a visit to see that. Julia Foy, Global News. A lawsuit is being considered against old-growth logging blockades. The Clear the Road group is asking people who've been caught behind blockades to email them. 
The group says it's inspired by a proposed class action lawsuit against the Ottawa Freedom Convoy. It also says it has collected nearly a thousand signatures on a petition calling for police and municipalities to do more to clear the protests. The Save Old Growth campaign behind the blockade says it's planning to resume its disruptions starting Monday. The B.C. Liberals are starting the search for a new name. Delegates to the party's convention backing the idea today in Penticton. Jasmine King has the story. Day two of the B.C. Liberal Party convention welcomed in 800 delegates to the Penticton Trade and Convention Centre where they met with fellow members and MLAs. We want to hear ideas. I, I think that, you know, that connection to our grassroots, to, you know, those that are really invested in the party is uh, a way for us to create that renewal and to really get in touch and, and make sure that we're moving in the right direction with the right messaging. This is the first convention with Kevin Falcon as leader of the party. MLAs and members are excited for their new leader and getting to interact with him throughout the convention. We've seen the energy that he brings to the job, so that's been incredible. And again, we get a chance as a, as a BC Liberal family to talk about the issues that matter to members right across this province. One of the promises Falcon made when he was elected party leader was to rebrand and rename the BC Liberals. Conversations were held today on the future of the name and what that can mean for the party. By the end of the year, every member will have the chance to vote on a new name or to keep the current one. I'm very intrigued to hear what sort of ideas are going to come forward and what sort of names will be brought forward. But in, in the end, it's, uh, it's, all about, it's all about the membership and it's about uh, them coming up with where we go next. The convention also welcomed in guest speakers and hosted panels with MLAs to discuss current issues facing delegates and what they want from their representatives. Mental health, whether it's housing, whether it's affordability, I, you know, people are, are not liking what they're seeing out of the leadership out of Victoria right now from the NDP. They want change. They know that Kevin represents that change. So we're driving forward. The convention ends tomorrow with a speech from new leader Kevin Falcon. Jasmine King, Global News, Penticton. An evacuation alert is in effect for dozens of properties in the upper Fraser Valley. Sand and bags have been laid out in Harrison Mills for residents who want to get ahead of the water. Forty homes are under alert, meaning residents could have to leave at a moment's notice. Now, various parts of B.C. remain under flood watches, flood warnings and high stream flow advisories. Well, coming up on the news hour, Parliament goes on lockdown. MPs shelter in place as heavily armed Ottawa police return to the city centre. Plus, it's about making sure that we create that path, you know, with the utmost respect and honour that the Kamloops to Schwetmik try to chart a course forward without a roadmap. Scare on Parliament Hill today after the building was evacuated because of a possible security threat. A public safety source tells Global News police received information about a possible threat from explosives near Parliament. Ottawa police identified two vehicles and two people they believed were related to the incident. The Parliamentary Protective Service warned MPs and senators working inside to shelter in place. Those orders were lifted this afternoon. Ottawa police say the investigation is ongoing.
Hundreds of thousands of Americans held March for Our Lives rallies. It's the second event since the mass shooting at a Parkland, Florida high school left 17 students and staff members dead. As Jennifer Johnson reports, the latest massacres in Buffalo and Uvalde, Texas, have activists demanding action on gun control once again. No more silence and gun violence! From Brooklyn, New York, to Washington, D.C., and dozens of other cities across America, hundreds of thousands of protesters sent one clear message to lawmakers. Your inaction is killing Americans. This is not a political issue. This is a moral issue. In Parkland, Florida, where high school students first started this movement, there were fiery speeches. Years after the massacre there, mass shootings in the U.S. continue to leave communities shattered. People say that most movements take a long time until change is made. But 10 years since the Sandy Hook shooting and four years since the Parkland shooting seems like a pretty long damn time to me. The yeas are 223. This week, the House passed bills that would raise the age to buy a semi-automatic gun to 21, ban high-capacity magazines, and allow judges to confiscate weapons from anyone deemed dangerous. But that package has little chance of passing the Senate, where 10 Republicans would have to join Democrats. A different bipartisan bill is now being worked on. Polls show most Americans have had enough, including teachers in Texas. Over the course of the year, we will be expected to interrupt our school day to conduct lockdown drills to show the children what it will feel like to be hunted by a gunman intent on murdering them. Gun control advocates vow to keep the pressure on lawmakers and not allow the passage of time to lead to nothing getting passed in Congress again. Activists hope after so much bloodshed in America, something will finally change. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. And earlier today, U.S. President Joe Biden addressed the nationwide rallies on gun reform. The commander-in-chief is asking demonstrators to keep on marching. This has to become an election issue. The way people listen, senators, congressmen, is when people say, I'm going to, this is going to affect my vote. Too many people are dying, needlessly. And, and what's even being proposed in the House and Senate is marginal. I mean, it's, it's important, but it's not all that needs to be done. The Tecumlips de Schwetmik are welcoming the appointment of a federal interlocutor whose role will be to help navigate a complex legal, cultural, and ethical world after the confirmation of suspected unmarked graves more than a year ago. Now, as Kamal Karamali reports, the nation is trying to move a process forward with no obvious roadmap. It was a somber anniversary in late May, marking one year since the detection of suspected unmarked graves near the former Kamloops Indian Residential School. For many, the shadows found by ground-penetrating radar a confirmation of their worst fears. The atrocities, the deaths, the loss. Nearly three weeks later, the Tekemlips de Schwepmik faced some tough decisions. How to exhume potential remains and how to do it respectfully. It is about making sure that we create that path, you know, with the utmost respect and honor and dignity, and then, of course, including the parameters of the law. This week, the federal government appointed Kimberly Murray as a special interlocutor on unmarked graves, 
her role to help with jurisdictional, legal, and cultural hurdles, which several sites discovered across the country. When it comes to the search, what laws will be triggered when they find uh, burials, who gets called in, who doesn't get called in, which you know, which Indigenous law will apply. One thing that is known to Kamloops de Schwepmik are under the spotlight, the country watching on how they'll proceed while other Indigenous communities look to possibly follow in their steps. The most important part, I think, of the special interlocutor is to be there to help those communities that are just starting. We all have our traditional and cultural protocols, depending on where and which community we're from. But most importantly, it's, you know, respecting and honoring that as well, because so many families have been impacted. There will be a focus on identifying the children and their cause of death. Murray takes on her new role Tuesday. Casimir expects her in Kamloops before the end of the month. Kamal Karamali, Global News. And we understand these stories may be triggering for our viewers, and there is support available for survivors and their families. The number is toll-free and 24 hours a day, and you can speak in confidence. 1-800-721-0066. Well, still ahead on the news hour, graduating into a high-stress job. We are going to be expected to take on a lot. Coming up, why these Thompson River University graduates are burning out before they enter the hospital. And giving back on the green. They've uh, welcomed me with open arm, <laughs> so to speak. How a northern BC golfer is improving his handicap and changing the game for youth. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. Well, the Canadian Coast Guard celebrating its 60th birthday with an open house in Victoria. Visitors could go inside a Coast Guard hovercraft and watch several search and rescue exercises. But they also got the opportunity to tour the Coast Guard ship Sir Wilfred Grenfell. The vessel from Atlantic Canada was originally a search and rescue ship, but has now been turned into a buoy tender thanks to a $17.3 million upgrade. Four. Well, this ship will add tremendous capacity to the West Coast, not only in buoy tending, which is looking after our aids to navigation, but it will also allow us to use her for search and rescue, environmental response, um, in addition to resupplying all our light stations. The open house is also aimed at giving potential mariners a glimpse into the Coast Guard and the careers it offers. In health news tonight, it's post-secondary graduate season. At Thompson Rivers University, the nursing cohort is beginning its career during a challenging time. And a number will start at Royal Inland Hospital, which is struggling with staffing shortages. We get the story from Connor Gunn at CFJC News. Staffing challenges are plaguing RIH and many other hospitals province-wide. Being understaffed throughout a pandemic can be especially challenging to nurses and new grads. We're dealing with really high ratios with patients, which makes it unsafe. Um, there's, it's easy to miss things, easy for things to change with patients and we don't see it. Uh, it's just, and then there's the burnout that nurses are facing a lot. It's just, 
the stress is high and it just kind of feels like nothing's being changed a little bit. Nurses locally and provincially are reporting that burnout and stress has been a key impact to work and one student who is set to work for RIH says the support for new grads is there but is treated on a case-by-case -case basis. They try to protect us as new grads to make sure we don't get pulled to different places or that we're not taking on too much. Uh, so it's I'm lucky enough to be in a really supportive environment. Some of my other classmates, they're having a bit of a harder time. Some grads will be going to RIH for work after completing their practicums. The dean of the School of Nursing says the job is more challenging than people may think, and being thrown into an understaffed, already difficult situation adds to the challenge. This is a challenging time, and nursing is hard work. It's physically hard, it's emotionally hard, and I think it, you know, to help people maintain that energy because if you don't have the energy, you can't be there for other people. And I think that's what nursing's all about. It's definitely scary. I think as new grads, we are going to be expected to take on a lot and not necessarily things that we're ready for. I think that TRU has prepared us um, as best as they could. It's still a challenging career to be entering and a challenging time, especially in terms of staffing. Connor Gunn, CFJC News. Well, coming up, Yvonne has your full forecast, but first, high stakes in the B.C. wilderness. A moose fights for her calf near Mabel Lake. The chilling encounter caught on camera. Well, Prince George man quite uh, caught quite the interaction between a moose, her calves, and a black bear while traveling near Mabel Lake. Ethan Fell caught this video on camera. As you can see, one of the calves falls and the black bear tries to move in. But the cow had other ideas. She turns and lunges toward the bear, who then runs off into the forest. The moose family reunites and runs off. After moose chased off, the bear kind of ran like 10 feet into the bush. And then uh, that's pretty much when the video stopped. And uh, mama and the calves went down the road a ways and then ducked back into the bush. We kind of pulled the truck in front of the bear because it was looking like it wanted to keep up the chase, right? And um, my coworker rolled down his window and started yelling at it. I'm like, hey, hey, you, trying to get scared off kind of thing. Ethan says he's seen plenty of wildlife working in the forestry sector, but never anything this dramatic or heroic. <laughs> What's well, a city more commonly associated with cars, but today Surrey put a stop to the traffic and hosted its first ever car-free day. People doing the happy dance on 137th Street, which was closed off between 74th Avenue and 72A, and turned over to families and dancing. Multiple stages set up to host free concerts all day. There were also balloon twisters, jugglers, face painting for the kids, and patios, vendor booths, and a beer garden for adults. Well, Yvonne, I was going to say it's... First of all, a beautiful day to have an event like that. Uh, happy dance, why not? And uh, I was just looking outside before the show started, and it's quite nice outside still. Yeah, and I would even say it's uh, patio weather, if anything, Absolutely. as well. Nice to have you on the news hour. Nice to have you in the evening, Emily. All right, a look at the forecast and what we're anticipating. We've got a bit of a blip, especially as we get in towards the evening hours and leading in towards our Sunday. Temperatures are sitting at 8. We've got a southerly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. Today, we bumped up to 20 degrees. We're actually right around 
around the average for this time of the year. Not quite record-breaking, 26 degrees, and that was set back in 1989. Now, here's the blip that we're anticipating, especially as we get in late overnight and in towards the morning hours. We do have a slight chance for some showers. That'll likely take us in towards our Sunday morning. We've got more cloud cover. And then as we get in towards the afternoon, we'll see that break up. And we've got the return for some sunshine through the afternoon. But the instability is going to pick up for both the central and southern interior with the risk of thunderstorms. A check on our flood watch. We're seeing this from the BC River Forecast Centre. I've taken this from the Laird River. What we have seen is the flows are expected to continue to rise and remain constant or steady over the weekend. And then as we get into early next week, the concern will be additional rainfall amounts. Midweek onwards, we've got more rain in the forecast, and that's continuing to say to continuing our flood warning for many areas. That will exceed Bankful, and our flood watch may exceed Bankful. And the area of concern is near the Layard River, areas near Fort Nelson. If you're traveling along Highway 97 and towards Watson Lake, that's the big concern. They may level off over the next few days, but expect it to rise with additional rainfall amounts as we get into early next week. So we're not out of the clear just yet. And many areas that may exceed Bankful underneath the flood watch. And for example, the Skeena and Bulkley River still included within that. Now, the northeastern corners through the day tomorrow, Fort Nelson getting up to 20 degrees. Along the coast, though, we are seeing that chance for some showers. Temperatures sitting at 13. Much of the central interior will see that instability pick up. The timeline afternoon and leading in towards the early evening is when we're looking at the risk of thunderstorms. And that's going to extend in towards the southeastern corners of the province. Thompson, Okanagan tomorrow, just a few isolated showers possible. Highs, though, into the low 20s. Whistler, a cooler day with those showers in the morning and highs just up to 17 by the afternoon. South Coast, so keep that in mind, overnight and for tomorrow morning. We do have that chance for some showers popping up. It'll be 18 as the high underneath a mix of sun and cloud as we get in through the afternoon. Monday, Tuesday, blips in the forecast. It is cooler on Monday with highs just up to 16 degrees and then looks to rebound for our Wednesday and Thursday so far. So we've got some bright spots. Emily? All right, thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, a cycling event today in the Lower Mainland is aiming to raise money for critical vision research in Canada. Fighting Blindness Canada Cycle for Sight began at West Langley Hall this morning before participants rode along the Fraser River around Fort Langley and up Armstrong Hill. The group's goal is to raise 50000 for vision research in an effort to help more than 8 million Canadians living with an eye disease that puts them at risk of going blind. It's something the children of one organizer knows all too well. My kids can't even recognize my face if I'm standing this close like we are. So um, the schooling, every day is a challenge, is a struggle. and It's not well known because we live with it. They can live with it every day, but they need so much support to live lives that are going to be successful. Well, it's lovely to have events back up and running again, especially when it's for a good cause. And Barry Vaughn, we should update our viewers. Uh, they've raised more than double, $101,000 just in BC alone. Nice to hear. So good awesome. stuff there. All right, uh, Barry, you've got sports coming up. What are you tracking tonight? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, a lot of excitement down at BC Place for uh, Lions fans. Their season opener kicking off uh, in about 45 minutes from now. So we'll look ahead to that. The Lions looking to make uh, games more of a celebration on and off the field. they got One Republic, the rock band, uh, playing in the stadium, I think, right about now. So they're trying to get everyone revved up. So we'll uh, talk about that as well. And the Tampa Lightning can go to another Stanley Cup final of early highlights in Game 6 against the Rangers as well. All right, lots of good stuff there. And also ahead, Kelowna hosts the Pride Parade coming up after a break. And 
We'll go inside Pride and meet a pair of girls from Saskatchewan who discovered their gender identities as toddlers. Stay with us. I think there are still questions that need to be answered here. This was a high-risk, high-reward strategy. So we wanted to set the record straight. But at the end of the day, we talk. And where we talk is right here at CKNW. Throughout Pride Month this June, Global News is doing a series called Inside Pride. It looks beyond 2S LGBTQQIA+, and focuses on some of the lesser-known labels. And tonight, we'll meet three two-spirit girls living on the prairies. Tegan Rasha has more on how they discovered their gender identities when they were just toddlers. Jade Penner wants her daughter, Hudson, to experience the two-spirit community outside of Saskatchewan. That's why the two traveled to Manitoba for a powwow. When she was about three years old, she started to tell us that she, she said that in her heart she felt like it told her it was she was a girl. Two-spirit is a term used in the Indigenous community that refers to a person who identifies as having both a masculine and feminine spirit. We belong to a very supportive community who has done pride parades, who have um, accepted and supported and really honoured our two-spirited people. In and around that community, about 90 kilometres north of Saskatoon, are two other little girls who both identify as two-spirit. Alexandra Cameron first expressed her gender identity when she was just two years old. She just started wearing the dish towels around her waist and started carrying the purses. Gamble thought it was because there was so much feminine influence in the family, but Alex never outgrew what they thought was a phase. I can love how I can just tell my parents like who I am and express myself. For Reese Okamason, she was also just a toddler when she started identifying as a girl, even though she was assigned male at birth. She used to go to her uh, auntie's house and have, like, she would have purses and, and high heels, and that's when she started really getting into that stuff. I didn't really think of anything of it. Reese has been supported by her family, friends, and community. The only challenge she faced was with her great-grandma. Always said, why are you letting her wear skirts, or why are you letting her wear makeup? And, you know, it's just like her, her old mentality. So um, I just said, I'm just letting her be what, what she wants to be because she's perfect. And that's one thing all the moms have in common. No matter how their daughters identify, they just want them to live as their authentic selves. Tegan Rasha, Global News. Well, coming up, Barry has your full sports cast. It wasn't a sure bet just a few weeks ago, but the Lions are set for their home opener tonight at BC Place. The Concord Pacific Dragon Boat Festival is back. Watch the newest generation of boats hit the water at the Dragon Boat Festival. Plus, enjoy performances including the Zolas, cultural pavilions, and public art with free admission on the shores of False Creek. Explore an immersive new experience at the Vancouver Aquarium, Wildlife Rescue, Miracles, and Conservation. Get up close and personal to endangered animals and hands-on with interactive displays. VancouverAquarium.com for info. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Celebrating Pride Month with Inside Pride, a Global News special series. Go to globalnews.ca and click on the Inside Pride tab. 
Well, Barry's back with all your sports highlights tonight. And, Barry, we're starting with a big game. Mm-hmm. First yeah. one of the year for the Lions. They haven't made the playoffs, it seems like, forever. So it's uh, important to get off to a good start. Thanks, Emily. And also welcome, by the way, to the News Hour. Good to have you here. The uh, Lions are less than a half hour away from kicking off their 2022 season at BC Place tonight against the Edmonton Elks. The Lions and their new owner, Omar Doman, really are committed to putting a good show on for their fans on and off the field. The rock band One Republic is playing as we speak to get the crowd all pumped up. And as fans were coming into the stadium, they also got that party atmosphere. Lions really trying to establish that uh, party atmosphere before and during games and even after if they win and uh, not just for the home opener but every game. Owner Amar Doman is committed to growing this fan base back to where it was a dozen years ago when the Lions drew 30,000 per game. I think we're lucky to have Amar here, um, having a local guy that's so invested in the in the team. And um, I've been in BC Place many times as an opponent, where the fans have been big and awesome and all those things. And so, looking forward to that, and um, looking forward to that uh, home field advantage for sure. Uh, we want to be able to let the fans know that we're a team, you know, that's that has a lot of energy and enthusiastic. You know, we want to want to let the fans know that we we're here to win. And you know, uh, one way to keep bringing them in is to keep winning. CFL today from Regina, Rough Riders and Tiger Cats. Defense is dominating this one. Mike Adam will get the sack here on the Tie Cats. Dane Evans with Hamilton threatening. Adam did play a season with the Lions back in 2016. All field goals after three quarters, 12-6. Hamilton finally got a touchdown, 15-13. Riders now in the fourth quarter. Stanley Cup playoffs from Tampa. Lightning with a chance to get to their third straight cup final. Game six versus the Rangers. Andre Vasilevsky has six shutouts in his last seven chances to close out a series. He's allowed one goal. That was against the Leafs in the first round of game seven this year. Talk about a money goalie. Steven Stamkos, a clutch performer as well. Two good early chances, including a one-timer off the post. But in the second... The Tampa captain will find the back of the net. Great hesitation move. Fires the wrister. Screenshot past Igor Shosturkin. That is the only goal of the game right now. Very late second. Tampa leading again. one nothing. Vasilevsky still hasn't given up a goal. Rory McIlroy is in great shape to defend his RBC Canadian Open title. He's the champ from 2019, but because of COVID, there was no tournaments the past two years. But that hasn't made a difference to Rory, who obviously loves playing in Canada. And because of the crowd, this year's Open at St. George's Golf and Country Club in Toronto. The crowds have been large and loud and awesome. Everyone having a great time. They reacted there at one of Rory's shots. More from Rory in a moment. First Canadian content. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor. Fantastic approach at the par 5 11th from 204. Gets this to within the three feet. Made the eagle putt. Taylor, top Canadian, tied 15th at minus five. Surrey's Adam Svensson, tied 29th at minus three. Adam Hadwin, 35th at minus two. Justin Thomas won the PGA Championship just three weeks ago. His second shot on the par five 15th from 235. Smashes a fairway medal to just a few inches away. Tap in eagle. Thomas is tied third at minus nine. Seven under 63 for him on a very tough track. Tony Finau also went low on 14, inside 50 feet. That's a birdie. He's got the lead now. Rory McIlroy definitely is the fan favorite 
amongst the non-Canadians, roaring on every shot for Rory, including this one on 12. A beautiful approach, takes it past the hole, funnels it back to within a foot. Rory, 5 under 65 today. He's at 11 under, tied for first, and joining him at the top is Tony Finau, who finishes in style at the 18th with the birdie to cap off an 8 under 62 low round of the tournament. Finau, McElroy, and Thomas make up the final group tomorrow. Should be a great finish at the RBC Canadian Open. Now in London, final round of the inaugural Live Golf Tour event, South African Charles Schwartzel, led wire to wire, makes the eight-footer here for birdie to extend his lead. American Peter Uline with the tee shot here. Now this is always a possibility during a golf tournament. A little wayward into the gallery and it hits a fan in the back and the guy goes down hard, but it was all good. The fan was okay. Uline was a bit mortified there, but uh, the fan was all right. Got a signed glove, which is better than, say, a lawsuit. Schwarzel taps in for the win and four million first prize. There's a lot of money on this tour. Schwarzel world ranked number 126, but he wins the first event. Dustin Johnson placed eighth. Phil Mickelson, 33rd in the 48-man field. Jays and Tigers, the much-anticipated Major League debut of catcher Gabriel Moreno, a 22-year-old from Venezuela. He's the Jays' top prospect in their farm system. Tigers, though, kind of spoiled the party. Led 2-0 in the seventh, add to the lead. Victor Reyes with his third hit of the game. Plates another 3-0 Detroit. Top in the ninth, Moreno will get his first Major League hit. And he would later score a run on a George Springer RBI. Great moment, though, for the kid who the Jays are expecting great things from in the future. But today, the Jays lose 3-1 to the Detroit Tigers. And round eight of the 2022 F1 season coming from Baku, Azerbaijan. Qualifying today, the race tomorrow. Charles Leclerc putting a Ferrari on the pole position. Pulling past Red Bull's Sergio Perez, Leclerc trails leader Max Verstappen by nine points in the championship standings. Verstappen will line up third, a spot ahead of Ferrari's Carlos Sainz. Canada's Lance Stroll will start on the last row, 19th overall. Well, when Kentucky Derby winner Rich Strike decided not to run in the Preakness, it certainly sucked the life out of the Triple Crown watch, but it was a strategic move by his owners to be ready for the Belmont, the marathon one-and-a-half-miler in New York. But Rich Strike finished sixth in the eight-horse field today, which was won by the betting favorite, Mo Donegal. And they're into the stretch, and Mo Donegal has taken the lead as they arrive at the final furlong. Nest has moved up into second, then we the people, and Skippy Lawnstocking. It is going to be Mike Rapoli one, two, Mo Donegal and Nest, Mo Donegal and Arado. Quite a spectacle. Over 100,000 fans there. Owen has a good time, but uh, not as much excitement with the Triple Crown this year. And also, coming up uh, tonight at 11, we'll see if the Lions can win that season opener at BC Place. All right, and you'll have all those highlights for us, of course. have it all, of course, and post-game. All right, Barry, we've got an interesting story from the golf course coming up as well. A one-armed golfer from Prince George headed stateside for a major tournament. Stay with us. We'll have that after the break. Global BC is proud to support RBC Race for the Kids Sunday, June 12th in support of the BC Children's Hospital Foundation. Join runners and walkers of all ages in person or virtually having fun and raising funds to help BC kids. 
Well, if you've seen the movie Happy Gilmore, you know golf is all in the hips. That statement rings true for a northern B.C. golfer headed down to the U.S. for a tournament dedicated to players with disabilities and hoping to bring his experience home to share with others. We get the story from CKPG News. Golf is a popular sport in northern B.C., especially with all the beautiful courses to play on from Aberdeen to Alder Hills. For Randy Mackis... Well, that'll work. It's one of the many joys he gets to do, despite only having one arm. Trying out different things, trying to learn uh, techniques to make the game easier, right? I have, like I said, I have some nerve damage in this arm, and so if I don't have to swing so hard and I can still enjoy the game with a fairly decent score, I'm a happy camper. Back in 1995, Randy lost his arm to a rare nerve tumor that they didn't discover until it spread. So once they discovered that it was cancer, uh, it was a very aggressive. Uh, the 100% cure was to amputate me above my shoulder. Took my whole, it's like a full quarter, something similar to quartering a moose. That's what I've always said. <laughs> I've been quartered, I live in the north, I've been quartered like a moose. For 26 years, he's been embracing his life on and off the course. And in weeks time, we'll be heading down to Washington for a special tournament put on by the North American One-Arm Golfers Association. I've spent a couple years researching uh, things like disability golf or all ability golf and I by chance just ran across these guys and they've uh, welcomed me with open arm, <laughs> so to speak. He will be joined by some of the best one-armed golfers all around the world. However, Randy isn't worried about his score. He's just looking for experience of meeting other golfers. I'm interested in learning how they've adapted in their lives, in their time as being a one-armed person, so to speak, and especially I'm interested in their golf games. The best part? He's hoping to give back to the community of Northern BC, hoping to teach all-inclusive golf to youth. Mr. PG will be making the trip. He's been on every round this year. I started golfing this year April 2nd between the snowstorms, and I had a hard time getting all my buddies to dust off their gear because it was cold and wet. This little fella never said no. Oh, what a remarkable story, and good luck to Randy. For sure. You know, he's seen a lot of golfers who, you know, aren't able-bodied. You can really play. It's awesome to see. All right. We've got about 30 seconds left. Yvonne, quick check on weather. It's a beautiful day, right? Well, it's a beautiful evening right now. Uh, it we're is. tracking the next few days here. We've got a bit of a blip. Uh, heads up, especially overnight and for our morning hours. We'll have a few showers in the mix, and then we'll see a nice break as we get in towards the afternoon. Highs tomorrow up to 18 degrees. A cooler start into early next week, but then it should rebound by our Wednesday and Thursday. So tonight, overnight, a few showers, so a heads up. All right. It's not too bad. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. That is all the time we have tonight. And Krista will be back here at 11. Have a good evening, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.